Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. sudden it's like the scales are removed from your eyes and you start reading scripture and it, it makes sense now so you know those things those things are kind of natural um, there'll be a desire for fellowship with other believers you know I, I remember when I gave my heart back to the Lord the first thing I did was I looked for a church and I got into a Bible study right away it's like I got to be around other believers and that's kind of a natural thing I, I don't I don't know anybody that's gotten saved and go oh, I got to go off on the mountain by myself usually you want to get around with other people and then there's also, typically, a desire to share what the Lord just did in your heart with other people. Man, I gotta tell my friends, I gotta tell my family, um, I gotta share what God's done in my, in my life. Those things, I think you don't have to be taught that. I think those things just, they're, they're just natural. They just happen. But the new birth is not an end in and of itself. And that's unfortunately, some people, they get saved and they just sit there, they don't, they don't grow. It's, it's not an end in of itself, it's a means to an end. And so I'm going to back up and I'm just going to read First Peter, or excuse me, Second Peter chapter 1, the first four verses right now. It says, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. That's what we looked at last week, but now he continues in verse five. But also, for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge. You'll recall there in verse 3, we've been given all things that pertain to life and godliness. We talked about that at, at great length last week. In verse 4, we have been given exceedingly great and precious promises that through these we may be partakers of the divine nature. Again, we dealt that with that last week. And then also, we are no longer under the power and the dominion of sin. So this is what Peter is saying in these first four verses. So in view of all of this, in light of all this, giving all diligence, and that diligence really means with haste or uh, with an earnest effort, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. And then there's some more things in the next verses. We've been given all things that pertain to life and godliness. You know, it's like a baby is born with the DNA for adulthood. There's nothing you have to inject into the baby to, to get it to, to, to become a mature adult. Now, you have to develop it and help them to grow and stuff in certain ways, but physically, it's all there, right? It's all there for them. Well, we have been given all things that pertain to life and godliness, but now God wants you and I to use those things that he has given us to grow and mature. And that's what we're talking about this morning. And so notice he says add, which the word add means to abundantly or furnish abundantly to your faith. You see, it starts with saving faith. It has to start with saving faith. A person without faith, if you think about it, I've known some unbelievers that are very patient people. I've, you probably have too. 
I've known some that have persevered through some very terrible struggles, and yet they don't have a relationship with the Lord. So some of these you can, you can possibly see in, a, in an unbeliever's life, but they can't be all of these things. All these characteristics that we talk about, an unbeliever won't have all of these. Some of these, as we'll talk about later, virtue or godliness, they cannot have apart from Christ Jesus no matter what. So it starts with a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Now again, like I said, an unbeliever can be very patient, can be very self-controlled, can be a very loving person, but if they are, what do you say about that? Wow, that's a real patient person. That's a real, you know, they get the glory, right? But when you and I exhibit all these characteristics, who gets the glory, man, Jesus Christ. Because you look at me and you go, man, I, I don't understand that, but man, look what God's doing in them, you know? So God gets the glory in a believer's life. Well, there's a couple things I wanna also mention here, and that's, first of all, this. This list, oops, I gotta hit myself here, or behind myself, I should say. This list is not an optional list of qualities. In other words, I'm like, you know what, I'm gonna pick, I'll pick love of brother, brotherly kindness, kindness, because I'm, I'm a nice guy, you know, but I don't know about that self-control thing. I'm gonna just skip that. You know, it's, it's not a, like a list, well, I'm gonna pick that and that and that. I'm gonna be really good in those things and I, I'll just ignore the others. It's not an optional list of qualities to choose from. It's also not necessarily a sequential list. In other words, I'm gonna master the first thing, and then, and then I, now I can move on, kind of like merit badges in you know, the scouts or something. You know, I, I get this one down and now I can go. It's not necessarily sequential. However, I will say that there is an interrelation between some of these qualities. And we'll point that out as, as, as we go. So we're to add to your faith. What is the first thing we're to add to our faith? Well, the first thing is virtue. And you might have a, a connotation in your mind of what virtue means, you know. Um, but the Greek word is arete, and it's a term denoting consummate excellence. Now, we are told in Scripture that virtue, and I'm, I'm going to use the word excellence, it comes from God. It's not something that, you know, we develop within ourselves. It comes from God. In fact, in Peter's first letter, in chapter 2, verse 9, he says, we have been chosen to proclaim the praises, and that word praises is the same Greek word, arete, or excellence, or virtue, of him who called us out of light, uh, out of darkness, excuse me, into his marvelous light. We're to proclaim his excellence, his virtue that he has. And so, and then here in verse three in this chapter, God called us by his glory and his virtue. So it, it comes from him, we receive it when we become born again, and now we're to exhibit it in our lives. I don't know this guy personally, but I like what he said. Jason, or excuse me, James Rossum Lumby put it this way. Uh, virtue, or arete, it means the best development of such power as man possesses. It may be little or great, but in its kind it is to be made excellence. And here it is that the Christian workers in every sphere must surpass other others. In other words, if you're a plumber in, a, in an outfit and you're a Christian plumber, you should be the best plumber in that outfit. Maybe not skill-wise, but as far as your character and, and how you, how you, you know, how you work, how you, how you are honest in your dealings and stuff. The Christian worker in every sphere must. That's exhibiting virtue. That's exhibiting excellence. He says this, they work from a higher motive. 
what they do is a constant attestation of their faith. What they do is done as in God's sight. In other, in other words, man, God's watching me this whole time. I'm, I'm, I'm working for him. Yeah, I'm working for you. I'm getting a paycheck. But you know what? My boss is the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm honoring him and I'm working for his glory. So that what is done is done as in God's sight. And in the confidence that every act, in every act, it's possible to give him glory. No matter what you do, it's possible to give God glory. So that's the exhibiting excellence. The excellence that comes from the Lord, or virtue, as it says here in the New King James. Then he says to add to your virtue, knowledge. And the word knowledge here is the Greek word gnosis. And in this context of this passage, it means application, knowledge. I like what, uh, what somebody said here, and I don't have the, the person, the source where it was, but I came across, I thought this is really cool. They said this, knowledge grows best in the field of obedience. Knowledge grows best in the field of obedience. If you think about it, as you and I obey and, 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 and apply God's words, uh, or God's word in our life, we're going to grow in that application knowledge. You know, it, it, take anything that you get and you've never done before. My wife just got a, a loom. Um, free on marketplace or Facebook whatever she got um, and it's a it's an awesome loom and it's like it's like everything's there and it's it's just amazing and it was free but you know now she's got to learn how to use the loom now she can take classes she can google you know watch YouTube videos and stuff and you can get some knowledge but what you really get knowledge is once you start doing it you know once you start actually doing the weaving and you're tying your the weft or whatever weave and weft and uh, old attain well never mind I'm I was gonna say something funny but it's gonna come out weird um, anyways I gotta anyways um, you know as you do those things you gain more knowledge well the same it is with God's word as you obey and apply God's word you're gonna grow in the knowledge it's application knowledge Jesus said this if anyone wills to do his will he shall know concerning the doctrine whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own authority. In other words, you will know as you apply it. So there's an interrelation there. Um, in uh, verse 6 here, 2 Peter chapter 1, so now we're to add to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness. So we have a list, few, few more things to add now. But what's the first thing he mentions? self control. The King James Version calls it temperance. What is self-control? It's the virtue of one who masters his desires and passions, especially his sensual appetites. Masters his desires and passions, especially his sensual appetites. You know, Paul wrote this, where, you know, the, I haven't been watching, but I know the Olympics are going on right now. Paul wrote this, kind of, I mean, he, he might have been watching the Greek, Greek games when he was writing this, I, I would assume so. But in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24 and 25, he says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate, and there's that word self-controlled, in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. You know, you watch these kids that, you know, their parents 
started them when they were just old enough to, to walk and now they got them on the balance beam and they're doing gymnastics you know it, it's like they're so focused and when they're doing those when they're there's things that they just they just forego and they're and they're growing up because their focus is on winning that game that's what Paul talks about we are so focused on that imperishable crown that you and I are going to receive that that we should be controlling you know curbing those those passions and those appetites for sin here's a couple proverbs about controlling our passions proverbs 16 verse 32 and you know anger is something that's you know when someone can't control their anger that's part of self-control too he who is slow to anger is better than the mighty and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city i don't know if you've ever been around somebody that is has no self-control in the area of their anger uh, we, we, we know someone like that, and that person, you, you basically tiptoe around them because you never know when they're going to explode. So it's like you don't want to be the trigger because <laughs> it'll, it'll come back at you. Um, so controlling your anger. Proverbs 25, verse 28. Whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. Now, I don't know about you, but controlling myself it's not an easy thing. It's, it's actually kind of difficult. But the good news, it's not impossible. It's not impossible. So is knowledge and self-control interrelated? Well, if I have gnosis, which is the word, Greek word for knowledge, a practical knowledge of what, what God's word tells me about, um, you know, I read it about, God talks about the passions and desires of the world, I will want to exercise self-control over those impulses. And then as I exercise control over those impulses, I gain application knowledge of God's will in those areas. They go hand in hand. So we're to add to our knowledge self-control. And then we're to add perseverance to self-control. Now self-control has everything to do with um, the passions and pleasures of life. That's what self-control has to do. Perseverance has everything to do with the pressures and problems in life. What do you do with those? Perseverance, the King James Version says patience. What is perseverance? Well, it's cheerful or hopeful endurance. Let me read a definition for you. It's the ability to endure when circumstances are difficult. Not a passive sitting down and bearing things, but a triumphant facing of them so that even out of evil there can come good. A bearing up in a way that honors and glorifies our Heavenly Father. Self-control is related to perseverance. Because I can almost guarantee if there's a person that has no control over their self, they have lack of self-control, they will also not be able to persevere. They, they really do go hand in hand. Here's a memory verse for you and I relating to persevering. This is a good one to remember when you're going through a difficult situation. It's James 1, verses 2 through 4. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. How many of us rejoice when we're going through a trial? I don't see too many hands going up. Liar. No, I'm just kidding. 
We got one really spiritual guy here. Of course, he's one of the elders, so he needs to be. But <laughs> you know, to be honest, we we don't necessarily go. Woo-hoo, I just lost my job, or woohoo, the car tire went flat, or whatever like that. But that perseverance is that knowledge. You know what? I I don't I don't like what's going on. I don't understand it, but I trust God, and I know that He's using it for whatever reason. A couple weeks ago, and I shared this a couple weeks ago, we were. We were going to a, a, a family gathering um, in Duluth, and uh, we were in uh, Iron River, Michigan. So we were about three and a half hours away, and getting up early in the morning, we were going to head over there. And uh, I, I didn't have a real good feeling about this family gathering. There was some drama that had gone on the week before. It's just like, oh man, you know. But we're going to do it. Well, we get ready to leave, and we just get out of town, and the car breaks down. And I went, woohoo! No, I didn't do that. <laughs> no, I wasn't, I wasn't happy. <laughs> I was on the motorcycle. She was in her car. So anyways, we went back to, to my son's house, and uh, we were able to fix it. And, you know, amazingly, uh, she's got a Mini Cooper. And uh, I'm up in Iron River, Michigan, up in the Upper Peninsula. Do you have Mini Cooper parts? The guy's like, Mini Cooper? <laughs> you know? <laughs> What's that? No, I didn't say that. But they're like, you can't find stuff up there. Well, it just so happened our coil pack went out on one of the cylinders, and the guy goes, I call this O'Reilly's, and the guy goes, i got two of them sitting here. So we're like, wow. We put them in, got the car fixed about the time we were supposed to be in Duluth, got on the road and drove home. And, and you know, I, I wasn't, Teresa wasn't rejoicing. I wasn't rejoicing, but I knew, I felt afterwards like, Lord, you did that on purpose. You, you kept us from going there for whatever reason. I don't know, but... I'm, I'm okay with it. I rejoiced in that, in that sense. So that's kind of what James is talking about. Well, perseverance is related to godliness. What is godliness? That's the next characteristic we are to add to our faith. Well, the word is eusebia. It's from the Greek word eu, or you, I don't know how to pronounce it, which means well or good, and sebomai, which means worship or reverence. So it's like, good or well worship is kind of technically what it means. Here's a maybe a better definition for us. It's the inner response in us to the things of God that works itself out in godly reverence. It's a practical acknowledgement of God's presence in all my experiences in life. You know, that's that, you know, okay, Lord, I, I'm just going to trust you in this situation. I'm going to give you the glory in whatever I'm going through in my life. That, that's what this is talking about. It's a practical acknowledgement of God's presence in all my experiences. I have another quote that I really liked. Oh, I guess I already read that one here. This is this one from Dr. Wayne Barber. A precious and rare plant called godliness grows wonderfully when fertilized with perseverance. Again, perseverance leading to godliness. Listen, if I know that God is allowing some difficult circumstance, you know, that's, that's trying my, that, you know, if I know that God is allowing these difficult circumstances and, you know, it's, it's really trying my patience, so my self-control is, you know, I've got to really, it's got to really kick in. If I acknowledge God's sovereignty in that situation, that's, that's what godliness is, is, just saying, okay, Lord, you're in control of this. I acknowledge God's sovereignty. I trust that he has a good plan. You know, that, that's one thing. It's like God is good. God loves us. So he's never going to do anything to harm us. 
He's not out to get us. He loves us. And so you might be facing something. You go, this is not good, Lord. Why are you doing this? Well, you go back and go, you know what? I know that you're a God of love. I know that you love me because the Bible tells me so. And so I'm going to trust you in that. That's godliness. And then we grow in our trust of him. Peter said this in 1 Peter 4, verse 19. He says, therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. We have a faithful creator, and, and he's, he's not out, again, he's not out to get us. So, verse 7, to godliness we're to add brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. And like what John Corson said, brotherly kindness keeps godliness from being harsh. Right, I like that. What is brotherly kindness? It is the love of Christians one to another. It's brotherly love out of a common spiritual life. Adam Clark put it this way, love of the brotherhood, the strongest attachment to Christ's flock, feeling each as a member of your own body. So there's a, it's a fraternal love or friendship and a care for each other, like here in the fellowship. Paul wrote this in Romans 12, verse 10, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor giving preference to one another. That's what brotherly kindness looks like, giving preference. What does that mean, giving preference? That means putting someone else's desires or needs ahead of your own. I don't like doing that, but that's, that's what it is, brotherly kindness. It's also this. John said this, 1 John 3, 16, by this we know love because he laid down his life for us and we also ought to lay our, down our lives for the brethren. Man, you mean I have to die to myself and, and allow somebody else to be ahead of me? Yeah, absolutely. Laying down our lives for the brethren. So this is what brotherly kindness is. It's feeling each uh, as a member of your own body. You know, I take care of my body. I, I, I feed my body and stuff. And so we're to, we're to think about that. We're to think about each other's needs and what, you know, what would bless them and, and how do I care for them and stuff. We're to do that within the body of Christ, within one, with each other. We're to give preference to one another. You know, and I kind of take this into my own life. When I'm, when I, if, if I'm doing a, a, a business deal or, a, you know, I'm, I'm purchasing, if I know, if I have a choice of individuals and I know a person's a believer, I'm just, I'm going to steer my business to the believer because I, I want to bless a brother in Christ or a sister in Christ. So, you know, that, that's one that, that's, that's, that's not what the Bible says, do this, but that's what I do. That's how I work that out in my own life. And, and it's funny, we, <laughs> California, we had this one uh, transmission service and uh, a company and, and uh, my parents had given us a car for a wedding. And um, so we flew out, we got married in Duluth. We flew out to California and spent our honeymoon out in California. It wasn't much of a honeymoon because, well, that's a long story there, but anyways. Um, so we got this car, and we, our honeymoon technically was driving back to Minnesota. And, uh, but before we went, my dad said, hey, uh, he goes, I'll pay for it, but I want you to bring your car, this car in and just have the transmission serviced. You know, just have it checked out and stuff. I'm like, okay. So I brought it to this place, and I'm looking in the phone book. They, I don't, you kids know what phone books are? <laughs> it's, anyways, it was this big, fat, in the Bay Area, big, fat thing. You could sit on it and use it for, you know, extending things. Anyways, looking through the yellow pages, that's another thing that's kind of interesting. Um, and I found, I'm looking through all these lists and I see a transmission shop that's got the fish symbol, the I-X-O-Y-E and this fish. Oh, 
Christians. I'll give them my business. Well, it turned out, I, I won't go into too much detail with it, but it turned out that these guys, from what I could tell, they used that fish symbol to get people to their store, and they were the, they were the, had the worst reputation of transmission shops in, in the Bay Area. It was like, don't go to those guys, you know, I'm like, great. Anyways, long story. So, we're to add brotherly kindness to our godliness, and we're to add love to our brotherly kindness. Love, and the word there is agape love. And agape love, it boils down to unconditional sacrificial love. It's love that gives out without expecting in return. It's the highest form of love. It's how Christ loves us, not expecting anything in return. He, he died on the cross for us while we were yet sinners. While we were enemies, his enemies of the cross, he died for us, he loved us that much. That's agape love. So we are to give preference to our brothers and sisters in, the Christ, in Christ, in the body of Christ here. We are to give preference to our brothers and sisters, but not to the point of insulating ourselves from the world around us. Because sometimes we can do that. We can get so into our little group and then we, we just start to neglect the world around us. We're not to do that. We're to love people unconditionally, sacrificially, the way Christ loved us. So... What does that love look like? You know this passage of scripture, but I'm going to go through it step by step. It's 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 8. If you're just wondering what, what is agape love is, this is what it is. This is how it works itself out. Love suffers long and is kind. There's that patience. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy Love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. It does not behave rudely. It doesn't seek its own. It's not provoked. There's that self-control again. It's not provoked. It thinks no evil. It does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things. I hear perseverance figures into that. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Love never fails. You guys, if you maybe you've had that at your wedding ceremony, your pastor read that or whatever. You guys, we all know that passage of scripture, right? That's a quite a tall order, isn't it? You know, think about all those things that I just said there and try to insert your name in there, okay? I'll do it with my name so I don't embarrass anybody. Don suffers long and is kind. I'm not going to look at my wife. <laughs> She'll go. <laughs> Don does not envy. Don doesn't parade himself. He's not puffed up. He doesn't behave rudely. <laughs> he doesn't seek its own. He, he's not provoked. You know, I, I'm not going to go through the holes, but you, you get the point. When I start reading, it seems kind of silly. It's like, man, my name doesn't really fit in there very well. But take Christ's name. Take Christ's name. Man, Jesus is not puffed up. Jesus does not seek his own. He suffers long. Jesus is kind. Jesus does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in all truth. So, you know, when I put my name in there, it's like, mm, I don't really match up to that. I can put Christ's name in there, and it fits in perfectly. Well, here's the good news. The good news is this. If you have a born-again relationship with Jesus Christ, 
That means he's living in you this morning. And if you will just surrender your life to his leading in your life, he's going to work out those qualities in you. He'll work them out in you as you surrender yourself to him. And so Peter says this in verse 8, for if these, he summed up these, this list, and he says, for if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I really like how the Amplified Bible takes this verse. Because when I read this, it says, for if these things are yours, it sounds like, man, I, I, don't, I may not have some of these things. But I like what the Amplified Bible says, for as these qualities are yours, in other words, you have them, and increasingly abound in you, they will keep you from being idle or unfruitful until the full personal knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. Remember back in verse 3, we, said, we, we read that? His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. He's given us all those things. And then also that we are partakers of his divine nature. Man, when, when you accept Christ into your heart, he comes to dwell inside of you. You're a partaker of that divine nature. If you're born again, you have the Holy Spirit of God residing in you. You may not feel like you have these qualities, but they're there. They're there because Christ is there in your life. But here's the deal. God is not going to force you to deny yourself. He's not going to force you to. He's not going to force you to set your mind on the things of the Spirit. We have these qualities, the spiritual DNA, I would call them. They've been deposited in us through Christ. But the question is, are we abounding in them? Are these qualities increasing in our lives? Are they growing and, and, and becoming more and more evident in our lives? And that's what Peter is talking about this morning. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I always pray, Lord, I want to be fruitful. I want to be a fruitful pastor. I want to be a fruitful Christian. I want to be a fruitful, you know, whatever. I, I want to be fruitful for your kingdom. But what does barren mean? It's the Greek word argos, and it means inactive. You can think of it as being inert. Inert. You ever read like a, a, a medicine, you know, maybe an over-counter medicine that's got all the ingredients and stuff, and it, it usually have active ingredients. And it's the stuff that really makes the difference, you know, whatever. And then it's got inactive or inert ingredients, I should say. I don't know why they're there, but it's got inert ingredients. The active ingredients is what accomplishes things. It accomplishes, it has some sort of an impact, whatever is, it's designed or developed to do. The in, inert stuff, it impacts nothing. It's like a, and I'm not an expert, but it, it's like a filler. That's all I think about. It's got this filler, it's got this junk, and it doesn't do anything. That's what that word means. To be barren means to be inactive or to be inert, to have no impact. Filler. Unfruitful is the word ekarpos, and it means not yielding what it ought to yield. Unprofitable. Remember when Jesus was with his disciples and he's going from the Mount of Olives, I think it was from the Mount of Olives to Jerusalem, and, and he sees that, that tree, 
that's supposed to, it was the time of the figs, fig season, of the first figs, and so he was expecting there to be fruit, and, and he didn't see anything, and he cursed the tree, and the disciples remembered that he cursed the tree, and then the next day they came back, and the tree's dead, withered. He was expecting fruit, but there wasn't no fruit. That's what this word means, to be unfruitful, not yielding what you ought to yield, not being profitable, being unprofitable. So, this morning, if you're feeling spiritually barren, it's like, man, I'm not, I don't feel like I'm making any impact in my, in my sphere of influence. I don't feel like I'm very fruitful in my relationship with the Lord, in my, in, in, in my Christianity, in my walk with the Lord. You have an opportunity and, I will admit, a responsibility to allow his spirit to manifest these things in your life. And it's as you and I surrender to his leading in our lives, that's how these things start to develop. As the Lord, basically it's just allowing him to express himself through us. Just saying, Lord, I just, I'm just taking a back seat. You just, you just take control, Lord. You, you lead me in this situation. That, that's, that's how we become fruitful and not barren. And then Peter says this in verse 1, verse 9. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Short-sightedness. What is that? Well, it means you can probably see really clearly what's up front, but man, you can't see far away, right? You're short-sighted. You see everything that's short right in front of you, but you can't see far. Well, what Peter is talking about, there are some people that are short-sighted. They can see what's in front of them, right in front of them, but they don't think, they can't see the long term. They can't see beyond an immediate situation. They may not see the long-term consequences of sinful choices. Hey, right now, that looks tempting and it looks good. Stuff. They don't think, what's going to be the impact tomorrow or next week or next year or whatever? They don't think about the long-term consequences. Some don't think about the fact that, hey, you know, at one point, we're going to be standing for the judgment seat of Christ. Now, it's not a judgment for condemnation because Jesus Christ paid the price for our sins. So it's not, we're not going to be judged as it's like you're going to hell or heaven. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you have eternal life. What it is, it's a judgment based on what you did in your relationship with the Lord. What you did after you were born again, did, did you serve him? Did you love one another? All these qualities, what were these qualities in your life? We will have to give an account. And, it, and it'll be for rewards. And you might say, well, you know, I don't need any rewards. Heaven's a reward enough. I guarantee when you stand before Lord Jesus Christ in his glory, you're going to want to give him everything you can. You're, because he's so worthy of your glory. He's like, man, I, I wish I had more to give you. Everything goes to you, Jesus Christ. I guarantee you're going to want rewards when you're in heaven to give to Jesus. Some people are so short-sighted they're even blind. Remember in the church of Laodicea in Revelation 3, verse 17, Jesus had this to say to the church, because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. So I mean, some people are short-sighted, which is bad, but it's even worse to be blind. Some people, are short-sighted, they've forgotten that they are partakers of the divine nature. They forgot that they've escaped from the corruption that is in the world through lust. Listen, we've been set free 
from the corruptions and vices which are prevalent in the world. They no longer have power and dominion over us anymore. 2 Peter 1 verse 10, Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure, for if you do these things, you will never, never stumble. See, if you abound in these characteristics that we talked about this morning, verses 5 through 7, not only will you not be barren and unfruitful, in other words, you'll be fruitful, but you won't stumble. You won't trip in your walk of faith. And I know I've tripped enough times that I'm like, oh, Lord, I, want to tri- I don't want to trip up anymore. Well, if you allow the Lord to, to develop these and, you, and you're a willing participant to allow him to do these things in your life, man, you're not going to stumble. I'm not talking about falling away, okay? I'm talking about just stumbling in your walk, and I've stumbled in my walk before. Then he says this, verse 11, For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly in the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, according to Warren Wiersbe, the Greeks used this phrase, an abundant entrance, to describe the welcome given Olympic winners when they returned home. They got an abundant welcome, and the, the, the Olympic, you know, they, they, want, they ran the foot race, and they came in first, second, third, whatever the, whatever the winners were. Man, they are abundantly welcomed. Think about that. The winners. The winners. I was talking about the judgment seat of Christ. You know, again, if you are a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, you give your heart to the Lord, and, it, you know, if, you, if your next breath was your last breath, you, you have eternal life. You'll be in heaven. You'll be rejoiced. You're, you're, you're sanctified. You're, you're justified through what Christ did on the cross. But as we go through life, there's that process of sanctification, of being more like Jesus Christ. And again, there are some believers that, you know, they, they, they haven't developed. They haven't, they're still immature. They're still self-centered. They're still, you know, they have no, very little self-control in their lives. One day they too, if they're believers, they'll stand in that judgment seat of Christ. And this describes those people. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 15, If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but himself, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Means like they, they made it in, but they smell like smoke. <laughs> you, just, you got in there, but you know, have you been around a campfire or something? <laughs> Listen, this is the point. This is the point. Don't settle for a participation ribbon, okay? I don't want to just settle for, okay, you got it. You're in, you know. Be a winner. Be a winner. And what I mean by being a winner is having these characteristics abounding in you. Then Peter says this, verse 12. For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know are and established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right as long as I am in this tent to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. Now, Peter was probably in prison at this point, knowing that he soon is going to be martyred for his faith. It's not recorded in the Bible, but the historians tell us that he was martyred. He was hung upside down, actually, crucified upside down, I should say. Um, But the Lord had told him, he knew that he was going to be soon martyred, and he wanted to convey 
what he felt was important. Because, man, if, if you knew that tomorrow was your last day on earth and you had family or loved ones around you and you wanted to commute, what would you communicate to them? You know, um, hey, don't forget to paint the house when I'm gone or, you know, or, you know, whatever, you know. What would you, you'd want to communicate what's the most important on your heart. And that's what Peter's doing. He's communicating what's the most important thing on his heart. And what is that? He's reminding his readers of things they already knew. The things I shared with you this morning, I doubt that this is like, oh, I didn't know that. I, I, I'm pretty sure all of us know that. Now, maybe there might be a few people here that go, yeah, I guess I didn't know that Greek word meant or something. You know, granted that. But we've heard these scriptures. 1 Corinthians 13, I read. Man, you've, you've heard that. I bet you a lot of unbelievers could quote that, that scripture fairly well, too. We need to be reminded. We need to remember. It's not, it's not Peter says, I, I don't have any problem reminding you. He mentions it three times. I have no problem reminding you. You need to be reminded. In fact, Jesus said this of the Holy Spirit, John 14, verse 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. If God thinks it's important that we're reminded, and Peter thinks it's important that we're reminded, I have no problem reading scripture that you know, that, and going over points that you've probably already, maybe you said, I've heard a different pastor do a little, little different take on this chapter. Cool. But we need to be reminded of these things. Why? Because it seems our spiritual memory is not as good as we think it is. And here's, for me anyways, in my life, I can't speak for you. How many times have I come into a situation that's new and it's like it's a mountain in front of me and I go, man, I don't know how I'm going to make it through this situation. And I freak out. I freaked out a little bit this morning. <laughs> but it's like, how am I going to, you know, how, this is, oh, I can't believe this is happening. What's going to happen and stuff. How many times do I forget, hey, you know what? In the past, I had a bigger issue than that and God took care of me. I had a bigger issue than that, and man, God was there. He carried me through that, but we do forget. We do forget because if we didn't forget, we wouldn't freak out, okay? We wouldn't freak out, but we do freak out because we forget. How many times do we forget that we're no longer under the dominion of our lusts and passions, that we've been set free from that? We don't have to. We don't have to give in to that temptation, whatever it is. How many times do we forget that? We need the reminders, and this morning, the close of our, of our service this morning, we're going to have another reminder, and that is communion. We're going to remember what Jesus Christ did on the cross. I'm sure you've had communion before, right? I'm sure all of us have. But it's a reminder because we need those reminders. Why don't we pray, and I'll have the worship team come up, and, and we'll get set up, and, and then 